Hello, world. Can you hear me now? I need to get this fixed so we won't have feedback. So stand by. Uh, glad to see everybody here. Not sure where that's coming from because Jean is calling in. And interesting. <laughs> stand by. Okay, let's see. Janet, I still don't see you in there, but let me just welcome everybody. If I can get this off. You can tell I haven't done this in a while, folks. It's back. It's 2019. We're excited to be here. It is uh, American Communications Online, and this is TJ CT Radio with Aquarian Radio, and we're re- very excited to help uh, bring the new year in with a future and a very interesting, very, uh, I guess one might say, prestigious lineup for 2019 for the future. Uh, we'd like to talk about future applications of human regeneration and future applications of disease, re- disease reversion, cancer reversion, especially being that my daughter has a leukemia and she acquired that working in the pain industry. And uh, let's see, other topics. Biological Suspended Animation Research, Biohibernation, Quantum Biology. Okay, we'll have to ask what that word is. UFOs, Life After Death, Military Connections, and we may have a special guest to drop by today. Uh, Steve Colburn is one of our regulars that's in training in our ACO Association for American Communications Online Broadcast Media, and I don't see him now, so we'll have to see if we can get Janet helping us there. Janet Carolesson of Hawaii with our ACO Association. We thank her for all these years with Korean Radio for syndicating our shows. We're available on Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes is the big one, as well as FM Radio and many, many more that I personally have put out there for years. And so has she. So we've been syndicating over seven years all over the place, including with Revolution Radio and Cosmos Radios in the universe. So wherever you find your podcast live, we appreciate it. As also, we have the recordings that stay here hopefully forever. So that's why we are archivists and researchers. I'm very excited about Ira Pastor, who is one of our regulars with our ACO Association, being an entrepreneur. He owns his own company called BioCourt. He is the chief executive officer, as well as for the first 30 minutes, we're going to have Jan Harzan of Harzan, I'll let him say it properly, in California. So uh, I've asked him to come over, and I don't know how much time he's got tonight, but we're having him do a sort of a cameo feature spot, and then we're going to move on to all the more particulars about what the future holds. Let me get Ira, and then we'll get Jan on here, and uh, I better get Janet Carol Lesson on here out of Hawaii to help me because she's co-hosting tonight. <laughs> Janet Carol Lesson, are you there Hi. now? Do we have feedback? I, I'm here. I'm here. I was trying to connect our show into each other, but uh, it's too late now, so forget that. I sent okay. you, uh, Jan, um, you know how you share your contacts? Look in your phone, in your let cell me, phone, Yeah. Hold and, on, Jan, and his number is there. Me, uh-huh. Jan, can you hear me now? Is that you? You got Janet. Are you talking about Jan Harzan? Yeah, Jan Harzan. He's 
I don't. He doesn't know how to talk. Area well, code nine four nine. Uh, no, it just says hold time. Uh, he's needs to call in. Jan, I need you to call in direct with your cell phone. Let me give you the guest call in number three four seven nine four five seven two zero seven. Just like if you were calling your wife at home. <laughs> Just call 347-945-7207. I can see you in the computer. I don't know why you're not coming across. So, uh, Ira, can you hear me now? I can hear you fine. Oh, great. Okay. Jan Harzan, can you hear me now? Okay. Tell me that call-in number again, TJ. I'm going to text that to him. 347. Jan Harzan. Oh, Jan, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I'll turn your other one off because it wasn't working. Hi, now you've got a direct line in. Apparently, yeah. that's what this particular place in New York requires, Jan. Thank you very much. Jan Harzan, folks. Uh, Jan and Ira, I've got you both here. I want you both to introduce yourself. Uh, Jan, stand by. I've got Ira listed first, and I'm getting okay. some feedback. Okay, Ira Pastor. Introduce yourself, please. Sure. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm the uh, chief executive officer of a biotech company located here on the east coast of the United States in Philadelphia, uh, which has labs in Tampa. And we are uh, an organization that is focused on uh, basically studying all of the other creatures that inhabit this planet with us. Uh, some, you know, with rather unique powers, whether that be complex forms of regeneration uh, or the ability to uh, revert cancer or the ability to turn back time and become a child again later in life uh, or even die and come back to life and basically ask the questions, uh, you know, why as humans can't we do these things? And ultimately, how using the technologies and tools that we have available to us in 2019, uh, how can we reawaken some of this potential? Because um, the ability to reawaken some of this potential really offers a very unique and promising future uh, for all of mankind. So that's who we are and what we're focused on. Thank you. Jan Harzan, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing these days. And we'll get you two talking to each other with Jan and me. Go ahead. That'd be great. Thanks. I, I, Ira, I need some of that stuff <laughs> immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Uh, I'm Jan Harzan, Executive Director for the Mutual UFO Network. We're uh, celebrating our 50th year as an organization, nonprofit, and we basically uh, investigate UFO sightings reported to us by the public. Many people don't know, but we get 500 to 1,000 a month uh, through our network all over the world. And our network of 600 trained uh, field investigators who are active today uh, go out and investigate those and publish the results online. So um, that's the main thing we do, but we also have another part of MUFON, which is uh, working on some of the things that uh, I think Ira just talked about, and that is our experiencer research team under the direction of uh, Kathleen Martin and George Medich. Kathleen, of course, you know as the niece from Betty, uh, Betty and Barty Hill fame. And we get probably five to ten uh, experiencer questionnaires a day from people who are reporting interactions on a daily basis uh, with non-human entities. So 
that seems to me to be something that important for us to look at and try to figure out what exactly is going on and uh, put that data out for the public to see. Thank you. Now let me get Janet to introduce what we're doing. Janet, if you could introduce us. We've had Kathy Martin on here. And Janet, uh, just give us a rundown of how you see you and me and and Kathy all working together <laughs> with these two gentlemen. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, we, we've had... <laughs> Uh, Kathy Martin and her, um, oh, we've had Stanton Friedman and who's, who's the other author anyway? Kathy has written some books with a, another lady. I can't remember her name right now. Um, been working, I've been working with MUFON like uh, indirectly <laughs> since the late 80s. I first reported my experiences, one of my experiences, to somebody when I was at Penn State University. Um, the um, MJ-12 secretary, and I forget his name, uh, became president of the Penn State University. So I, I'm putting in a report, and I can't remember the guy's name right now. I know that uh, um, Greg Cameron does a, a thing about the, the MJ-12 secretary, former secretary of uh, MJ-12 was a professor emeritus at Penn State University. So I'm working there. And I'm doing my mutual report, and I end up going into the office of this guy. And I had to deliver a package. It was really creepy. It's like, oh, my God, I just talked about this guy. So back then, the MUFON fellow said he had a report from the MJ-12 secretary, and then the guy took it back. He said, I won't, I won't support this. So we've been on the verge of this uh, disclosure for many, many years. That was late 80s. So TJ and I interview. Uh, hundreds. Uh, well, we started started uh, in 2012, uh, interviewing a lot of experiencers, and I do uh, shows on Revolution Radio, and TJ and I were on Revolution, and then it branched into um, a lot of the uh, experiencer whistleblowers, so people that been in these secret space programs and other black projects, and been in underground installations and my labs and. And lately, I've been getting a lot of time travelers, and, and I've been in, I've interviewed Andrew Shago for years. So TJ and I've been working with all these people since 2012, and then TJ and I have both been in um, underground military installations. TJ was in the military, and then usually they give you a front job. You're in the military, but then they take people that have military jobs, and they end up giving them other jobs. <laughs> So they get a paycheck, but they're in these other programs as well. Anyway, it's very extensive the, what's emerging, but what, I wanted to tie in what Jan's doing with our pastor. And Ira, you have all these technologies that you're inventing and creating and working on getting out to the world, but our secret space program already has all of them. And so you're like reinventing the wheel, but hopefully we can bridge that gap and, and get this out to the world that these things like extreme physical longevity, uh, reversal of age, those things are already going on. <laughs> All these um, age rejuvenation, you know, physical, uh, actually there's a potential of immortality, reaching escape velocity and uh, basically li- living forever in, in a 3D uh, humanoid form of some kind. But uh, what else would you like to say, TJ? We've well, been working me, on this for a long time. Let me get hold of this ball here. Uh, okay. Uh, 
Let me turn it over, Jan, uh, Janet, to Ira. And Ira, while well, we've got Jan Harvin well, on here, this is the perfect I, opportunity. TJ, I recommend you give it to Jan because he's going to leave. So let let Jan do his thing, and I then we'll bring in Ira. <laughs> well, well I think it's kind of, yeah. So I heard, heard what you said, Janet, and it's kind of like uh, people who hold the belief that that uh, we already have faster than light travel, which which I personally have that belief, but not everybody has that belief. Uh, but that doesn't help us if it's in the black world. In other words, if it's something that was done through a DARPA program or through some uh, black project, it's it's not available to the general public. So I think what Ira's doing through his work is, is commendable because he's trying to, you know, he's even if he's reinventing it, it, it's still not available to any of us. So you have to do that. So I kind of see that too within the UFO field because uh, we know these craft are real. We had the big announcement back in 2017 by the New York Times. And... Um, the craft, at that time, of course, we were told the craft were not ours, which which is a big breakthrough for most of us in ufology. I think a lot of people were kind of like yawning. Well, of course we know they're not ours. But here to have someone with the credentials of the New York Times and Lou Elizondo, who was working for the Pentagon on the program, come forward and tell the public, no, these craft are real. They're not ours. That's a, that's a huge breakthrough. That's never been done before. We've been waiting 70 years for someone from the government to actually make that kind of announcement. And it happened. So... Now we can, uh, our scientists and engineers can move forward without fear of, uh, you know, too much ridicule because they're trying to, and they've already been doing this, many of them quietly doing it, trying to get faster than light travel to go. Uh, we, we've now opened the floodgates, and, and they're free to go chase that down and not have people make fun of them. So I, I think it's huge. We're making huge gains here, I think, uh, in this field, and I think people need to recognize that and, and uh, basically uh, – cheer it on because it doesn't doesn't help us to th- throw stones at people <laughs> it just doesn't help us right and, and I, I have a friend that's a uh, physicist uh, engineer who's doing it with the technologies he's he's uh, working on this um, energy system that's used on spacecraft and he's uh, right. already started his first patent so that's the first level yep. you got to get a patent right so he's playing right. the human 3d game uh, and he's hoping to get that out. And if anybody wants to help with that, write to me at Aquarian Radio at Gmail. We're, we're working on getting someone to produce it, someone brave enough to produce it. He already has it patented. It's ready to go. He's uh, working on the replacing engines first, like planes, trains, and, trains and boats. And it's a it's a free energy system, but it's very high functioning. Uh, there are a lot of free energy systems, but they're not very effective. His is very high functioning. And he can explain it to you. His name is Dan Cooper, and I've been working with him. So this is we're, we're living in very exciting times. And then the next step is getting into the cars. So they've already, um, you know, have a hypothetical, and they're working on the patents for all this stuff. But um, then you can just swap out your engine, and it'll be this free energy system. It'll go 30 years, won't leave any gas, any uh, batteries. And then, of course, this is what's behind um, what he's uh, do to travel in space. So he, he's got it all. And he's uh, systematically getting the patents done. It's a big process. It's a legal process, right? And then we have to get someone that's willing to mass produce these. We don't want the government to just make one prototype and then they shut it down. And it never gets passed up. That's happened over and over and over again. Every time we talk about free energy, you go, oh, yeah, so-and-so invented it. It's been invented a million times. And that gets off these fossil fuels and we'll stop killing our planet every time we fire up. Our cars, or we, or we turn up the heat of the air conditioning, we're killing ourselves. We're like lobsters in a pot, and we're slowly boiling to death. And we've got to stop this. And, and so, anyway, 
uh, really motivated to all at angles, and I'm so excited about Iris' work. Uh, Iris, are you? Well, no, we'll do Jan first, but I want to ask Iris if he's working with uh, Aubrey de Grey. But uh, go ahead, Jan. You only have like half an hour, we're halfway through it already. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I've seen estimates that within the next 30 years or less, we'll have no internal combustion engines in cars. But they're talking more about battery and hydrogen than they are any kind of free energy type cars. But 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 this could move very quickly because if you are letting the genie out of the bottle and and we know how some of the stuff works, um, we could see a very quick transformation on the planet. I think it's probably over the next 10, 20, 30 years. I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but. Uh, but that's actually a very short period of time, if you think about it. And particularly those of us who are a little older, um, we know how quickly time flies, right? Oh yeah, and and I hope it happens in my lifetime. So I'm really rooting with uh, Dan, who's got it already invented, to getting it out there. And so we're all, you know, it exists. That's what I'm saying. We need to get past the politics or the Illuminati or the Dracos or wherever they are keeping us from getting this technology. Because, um, you know, they're not supporting our life expectancy and, and survival as a species. Our planet right. is dying, and so they, they don't I care re- about us. <laughs> but, uh, but I would I say re- that, that, that – go ahead. I wanted to get Ira to talk to you about how he would be involved with MUFON. Do we have a desk or a department uh, that we could work together with? Well, I mean, the – and and forgive me if I have a limited scope here, but, you know, the one area that we have been spending uh, more time on, you know, in addition to sort of what we do on the regeneration and repair front, um, is the, the study of so-called uh, extremophilic organisms. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, we brought these, and, 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 you know, I refer to them as little aliens because they really don't match up with much uh, in sort of the genetic tree of life, but there are these fascinating little organisms called tardigrades that we have swimming around in the lab now. Um, and they're tiny and cute and are considered probably the only organism that are capable of surviving uh, mass extinction events and complex astrophysical uh, problems like gamma ray bursts and meteor impacts. Um, they are capable of uh, surviving temperatures down to negative 458 degrees Fahrenheit, which is close to absolute zero. They're capable of being boiled, uh, pressure six times greater than the deepest oceans, um, hundreds of times more radiation they can experience than a human and laugh very happily and they can hang out in the vacuum of space. I mean, they've been taken up to the space station and they are put outside and they just do fine. And so, you know, we love, you know, when you talk about sort of some of these, you know, what I refer to as the weird and the unknown in my particular segment of the industry. Um, I love this stuff because, I mean, these are examples uh, of sort of the, well, A, the superpowers that I would love to reconnect humans with, uh, but at the same time, you know, beautiful examples of stuff that most likely is uh, floating around out there. Because if you can survive all of that, you know, you're, you're, you're a space traveler. Uh, you're a galactic, uh, you know, uh, species. And so we love hanging out and looking at these folks and understanding why they're so robust and you can't kill them. 
and um, seeing where these capabilities come from because they're very important to our survival, not just, uh, you know, not just if I want to go out into space, but, um, you know, the next time a gamma ray burst heads this way, um, they offer us clues on how to survive these things. So uh, that's sort of my connection to the, um, let's say, the astrobiologic realm of things and something I'm very keen on continuing studying here at the company. All right. So we're combining microcosm to the macrocosm, which is cosmology, mm-hmm. which happens to be, I wrote the book, Knowing Cosmology, if anybody's interested. <laughs> so I got to work that in. How about that? I like cosmology. Now, Jan, <laughs> knowing cosmology. And folks, uh, Jan Pass, Jan, listen to this, Jan Harzan and Ira Pastor. Uh, you guys have never mentioned uh, each other's name before in pre-existence to this show, right? You've never right. met? No. Nope. Okay. What do you think about possibly uh, being at least an email partner in the future, uh, possibly at an event, if we can arrange it the next year or two, between 2020 and 2035, when we're supposed to be going to Mars, if we haven't already gotten there, in 2035, with people like... Uh, I don't know, Sir Richard, what is his name, Branson, and then we mm-hmm. have uh, mm-hmm. uh, Tom DeLong. Yep. And Elon Musk. Guys, and, yeah. Elon Musk. Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I'm open to, uh, to communicating and sharing knowledge on this topic uh, because I think, I mean, I personally uh, thought that, well, you know, whatever, however much Branson and Musk and whoever want to put into those projects, they better figure out how to – keep those people alive during that trip because uh, they're going to experience a lot of nasty stuff along the way. So, uh, and that's biology uh, or unique areas of astrobiology. So, but I, I've yet to see them put their billions into that type of research, but we'll see. I know they're laying off people at SpaceX, but uh, I'll keep my fingers crossed that more resources will go into it. All right. Jan Harzan, how would you respond to that since we're all, I want you guys to weigh in with each other so we can maybe get into the future of having more events or more, I guess, uh, event tables or vendors at some of these events. What do you think, James? Yeah, no, I don't even know I think that, one is. You, well, we're coming up in July. We've got a conference here in Southern California at the uh, uh, Hotel Irvine, uh, July 26th to the 8th. So the two, it's our 50th anniversary symposium for MUFON open to the public. Um, no, I mean, that sounds exciting to me. I was going to ask Ira, just um, what, what, what's the mechanism for longevity for life extension? Is it, is it uh, stem cells or is it, is it just the actual biology itself? Or No, no we, spend time, we spend time primarily looking at uh, the uh, well, so-called epigenetic reset uh, that typically occurs during conception. So the uh, all of the bioactive properties that are found in ooplasm. So before stem cells are ever created, uh, it, it, the egg cell is really the master cell uh, of the body. And understanding all of the biochemical dynamics that are involved in taking uh, a female and a male piece of DNA, which is, uh, you know, 30 years old respectively, and how those reversion and reprogramming dynamics that typically occur during fertilization uh, basically erase uh, age 
uh, and provide the new embryo with a complete set of so-called morphologic determinants to take its journey forward for nine months to become a, a fully functioning organism. So we're focused on that whole cascade of regenerative and reprogramming biology. But as part of that, while that represents, uh, you know, what we'll call uh, biologic robust, you know, resilience and, and fitness, we also need to think about the area of robustness. So basically stopping things from happening to us in the first place, and that is why, aside from studying salamanders and um, planarian worms and things like this that are wonderful regenerators, uh, it's also why we study things like the immortal jellyfish and uh, tardigrades, as I mentioned, uh, and even species like uh, uh, Arctic Icelandica clams, which, you know, have so-called demonstrable negligible senescence. So, we, you know, we found one just a few years ago that was over 500 years old, um, you know, been around longer than America. So there are all these wonderful properties, and we really need to understand all of the biologic components that go into creating this sort of uh, ability to turn back time, combining with negligible senescence to really get what, what uh, uh, TJ uh, referred to earlier as uh, escape velocity uh, to, to really move beyond sort of the 75 or so years that were granted uh, before most of us leave this planet. Right. I know UCLA has done quite a bit of study on, on longevity, and there's a number of universities around the country that have uh, longevity institutes. Uh, I think the USC school in Los Angeles also. Um, it seems to be a topic a lot of people are looking at, and one thing that's always been curious to me, uh, this is just more of an open-ended question, but you know, as I go to my reunions and meet with the folks that I was in school with many, many, many years ago, I noticed there's a huge difference in how people are aging. Some have just aged to the point where they look very, very old. Others still look like they did when they were in colleges. What, what separates those, those, those two? Well, you, not, you know, if, if, you ask that, if you ask that question to a, sort of a typical group of, of folks that uh, – does research in this area, you'll get, you know, a hundred different answers. Um, some will say it is all environment. It is all external forces while there's those that side solely on the uh, genetic side of things that uh, the primary thing that results in uh, sort of youthfulness versus not being that useful is sort of the age that your parents were when they conceived you. So, you know, I, if you had older parents that were capable of conceiving, as I was, uh, I, my father was 51 and my mother 41, uh, you have sort of you know, certain genetic properties uh, that sort of enhance, um, you know, your health and fitness and so forth. Um, yet, you know, one cannot overlook that, uh, and, 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 and you know, so sort of these kind of genetic benefits or lack thereof are demonstrated, you know, in a lot of the sort of super centenarian folks, these folks that live, you know, 100, 110, 115 years, and they've been smoking and, and drinking every day of their lives, and they're hanging in there. So clearly, uh, they got the genetic lottery. Uh, on the other hand, um, you cannot throw away exercise and eating right and staying out of the sun more than you need to be. And uh, pollution and a million other factors. So, I mean, there's a variety of things that, that play on it. Uh, but when it comes down to it, um, at the end of the day, uh, there are demonstrated 
you know, biologic cases of both uh, negligible aging and age reversal that exist on this planet in organisms hundreds of millions of years old uh, and evolutionarily old. Uh, and we need to learn from that. Uh, we, we can't believe, uh, as, coming back to, the, uh, to Janet's topic, we cannot believe that everything that is going to solve these problems is going to be invented in the last, you know, decade. Uh, there is 3.5 billion years of evolution that happened before we got here uh, solving a lot of these problems already. So we're very happy. And even if someone did discover something, um, I'm happy to even go back beyond that. And, you know, the, the fact that the salamander discovered regeneration 600 million years ago before we played around with it, I have no problem. I'll give the credit to the salamander. I just, I just want to rediscover it. <laughs> yeah. Is there a possibility we can have a science, technology, engineering, and math wing as sort of like a World's Fair with a mutual UFO network in the future? And, you know, we can have a, also an ancient cultures and new thought teachings area as well, Jan. Uh, just maybe put up this row of vendors, you know, if you're into science and this one over here, if you're into ancient cultures and origins. And I, let me ask Ira, Ira, if we did this in the future at some of our events, including we have Pennsylvania's well covered uh, with John Ventre in the past uh, that's been on our show here, but whether he's with Mutual UFO Network or UFO Association or whomever, where would you fit in, whether you were doing someone else's or Mutual UFO Networks, would where would you fit in if we had a, a STEM area and then an ancient culture's origin? Would you go under science or would you prefer ancient cultures with what you're talking about, all these salamander things? Well, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, could, I could see both in the sense that, uh, you know, I, if I think of ancient cultures from the perspective of what we do, it's, uh, it's ancient, ancient, uh, you know, uh, the culture of the biosphere and, and the 3.5 billion years of stuff that was here before we were here, um, doing all sorts of neat things, uh, surviving uh, ice ages and mass extinction events and all of that bit. Um, so, you know, yeah. So, I mean, science, of course, the extremophiles, understanding uh, how one survives uh, in situations that normally kill us, um, how one protects oneself and extends life so that we can go into the cosmos. Um, and then also, um, and I don't know if this falls into the area of sort of the astrophysical and the astrobiological, or if this goes a little beyond. And I know, you know, you, you know, I'll talk about this a bit later on in the program too. Um, you know, we, we cannot avoid some of these sort of unknown uh, areas of um, information uh, transfer and capture uh, in the human mind and, and uh, non central nervous system information processing that's now demonstrated in humans. So th there's a lot of more exotic and esoteric things that we work on too that I think merge very nicely with the overall themes of seeking uh, answers. All right. Jan, esoterically, can we discuss in the future with other UFO associations or uh, other events and radio shows. Maybe we can have a whole media or press area. I don't know. But, Jan, we want to give you the next few minutes to promote MUFON, if you don't mind, and we'll have you back another time. But uh, if you would, just share with us how you see future events and the future 
And uh, now that the genie is out of the bottle, if you don't mind me saying so, Jan Harzan, Mutual UFO Network, give us uh, your future, how you see the future of MUFON and the events beginning with July, if you don't mind. Well, actually, very, very strong. In fact, our um, theme for the symposium this year is embracing the uh, 50, our 50th anniversary of embracing the future. Um, one of the topics on there that we were talking about uh, having, and I've invited a speaker for that topic, I'm waiting for a confirmation, is transhumanism, which is looking at, you know, how you uh, use technology in different ways to, to help uh, uh, augment the, the human condition and, and, and length of time. I mean, what I was talking about could be a piece of that, right, because you're trying to come up with a way to uh, increase longevity for, for the species. I mean, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to live to at least 150 years. I don't know, maybe I was thinking even longer, um, maybe a thousand years. But uh, it's just technology is moving so quickly, and, and it's, I think a lot of it's going to come from some of the study of what we're talking about with UFOs and uh, these advanced civilizations that are visiting us, that I think we've got a lot of uh, rapid change just immediately ahead of us. And I think people need to be ready for that. I think they need to be prepared uh, for, for a much... Uh, faster rate of change than what we've had in the past. Not that it hasn't been a quick rate of change, because you can think in my lifetime, going from a vacuum tube uh, television set to, to uh, a state-of-the-art you know, flat-screen uh, telephone here that has pretty much everything you could want inside of it, um, that's just a phenomenal rapid pace of change. So I think kids growing up today, they're growing up with the, uh, the iPhone and with the, the iPad and those types of things to them, that's just normal. That's that's the baseline. Uh, for those of us who are a little older, uh, we realize how advanced that is compared to what used to be back in in, in just a short 40, 50 years ago. So um, as far as MUFON goes, I mean, we're just continuing to collect the data. We have people reporting to us all the time, these events that are happening. We're trying to get to the bottom of what it is. Um, and we're trying to get that information over to the scientists to help look for things they can do to improve the condition of humankind, you know, whether that be free energy, whether that be through uh, faster than light travel, whether it be through uh, learning telepathy or whatever, whatever the means might be. Uh, the things that we're observing in these cases uh, is going to do nothing but help advance uh, our civilization as far as I'm concerned. So that's, that's why I got into it. I, I worked for IBM for 37 years in, a, in the technology sector. Um, I remember when computer rooms took up acres and acres. I mean, you had entire floors which just had disk drives on it. Those disk drives today are, are just a fraction of what's inside your phone in terms of storage. So um, advance that another 50 years, uh, and, and I don't think we would even recognize the future, honestly. Do you think your help with IBM uh, will help us in AI with doesn't IBM have the smartest computer, or has that been surpassed by another country? Well, you're, well, you're talking about Watson. Yeah, no, I, IBM has been in AI since the beginning uh, that I, when I joined it in 1977. Um, we've we've uh, voice recognition, AI, um, of course, uh, the Watson computer. I think it was called Deep Blue at the time. Uh, beat the uh, world's best chess player, and then recently the the more advanced version of it called Watson won the Jeopardy on TV. Um, I mean, yeah, the computers are starting to get to the point where uh, the speed of the computers are such that they're going to become quickly, in the very near future, um, thinking-type machines. And, and, and we're about ready to cross over that line. Um, some people call it singularity, but it's going to be uh, a phenomenal future. 
let's just hope they don't decide that they don't need us around. Well, that's a good point. Uh, Ira, remember when you called me a cyborg? <laughs> you, yeah, you, you're, you are a cyborg. What, 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 yeah. <laughs> what What's wrong with that? that? What's wrong with that? <laughs> Indeed. Let's talk about that. Janet Carolus, and I'm going to make sure you get plenty of time on the last hour here. Uh, helping me as my 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 good friend, my girlfriend forever, and uh, there's something to the fact that intuition plays with AI, and also uh, Ira, with uh, you know I I receive things into my consciousness, and I'd like both you and uh, well I, I don't know if Jan is out of the out of the black box as experiencer yet, having seen something when he was younger, but. Uh, I I go by being an experiencer and uh, having died as a child. I didn't know if that gave me an extra sensory perception level before I worked for the government. But, you know, after I had my uh, titanium implant in my neck, I swear I could tell you who or what uh, implant went in when they put in some fossilized type of bones. You know more about that than I do, Ira, but do you think that there's a possibility that we can get uh, consciousness from maybe out in the universe. And then when we were here, we're chosen to work on projects. I don't know how to get into this, but I'm trying to get uh, MUFON involved with the future and what you do and what I do. I don't know if that would be called cyborging it or with him, with Watson and AI and IBM, 37 years experience. And you with BioCork, but do you see where I'm trying right. to go? I just can't get it there. Well, I think um, I know you directed it to Ira, but let me just answer one thing here. Many experiencers report to us after their uh, first encounter uh, with these craft or these beings, uh, having enhanced um, uh, intuitiveness or you know the ability to preconceive or pre- uh, precognitive uh, abilities, and so. Um, and they become extremely intuitive or very empathic. So that's something I, my, my own brother, when we had our sighting as kids, um, close encounter, uh, happened to him. He, he was able to actually see the future and uh, see things. And it, it was quite frightening for him. Um, I don't have that ability myself, but I did go through some training in my early years in college uh, called civil mind control, where they basically touch it and train your brain down to alpha level. Uh, it's very similar to what I think they teach the remote viewers to do, to be able to go out and look at things. And what you find is that uh, all the information is there in the universe and and you're tapping into what they would call the collective unconsciousness and you're able to pull information. Um, I think that's how the psychics work. That's what what came out of the work at the Stanford Research Institute by uh, Hal Putoff and those folks. uh, When they were looking at how do psychics get their information, they found that their brains were entrained to a certain frequency I believe it's 6.8 hertz. I could be completely wrong. But but um, if you can quiet your mind down, and that's through meditation and through prayer, however you do it. Uh, they actually had a technique they taught in this particular civil mind control class I took. Uh, you can literally access information. I'll just give you one quick example. Um, I, I was an engineering student at UCLA, and, and it was difficult for me because it was, it was very advanced math, very much everything. And I, I was taking an advanced calculus class, and after the weekend when I took this course, I had a midterm, and I took it, and I got like an A plus on it. I got like, a, 
And the professor called called me in at the next class. He said, "Is Jan Arthur?" Because we're like 300 people in this class. And I, I went down to see him, and he he said, "Hey, I have your paper here from the midterm." He says, uh, "Who took this test for you?" I said, mm-hmm. "I did." He said, "He said, uh, no, you didn't." I said, "He said, who who took the test for you?" I said, "I did." He said, "No way," you know, because I was probably about a B, you know, B minus student. I mean, you know, it was difficult for me the, the whole calculus thing. But I had actually taken the test. But what I, but I used the techniques I learned for this thing to to bring the information to me. Um, uh, it's not like I was being a psychic or anything, but I just quieted my mind down, and the answers just came to me. And it's a trainable thing. And I, I, I think I told him, I said, well, I don't. it was me who took the test, but I took this course, and I kind of explained it to him. He just looked at me kind of cockeyed and, and let me go. But um, I, I, I know that this stuff is real. I know it can be done. And uh, it's a matter of training, really. But some people have it uh, just as a matter of fact. They're born with the capability. So there's a lot of fascinating capabilities we have as human beings that we're just now discovering and I think it's going to become more light here as we move into the future. Wow, I didn't know you were that far advanced in consciousness. Uh, excuse me, Jan, I haven't met well, you before and I, you just well, came under my window. But, <laughs> I don't know if I say that, <laughs> but I've had experiences that tell me that there's a lot more than what we, we, we uh, acknowledge uh, and, and I think we're, we've kind of taken the blinders off with these announcements recently and uh, I'm excited about the work Ira is doing and, and, and other other folks to help, you know, move mankind forward and, and get us out into space and uh, do all these great things because I think it's an exciting future for all of us. You know, I, to me, it's an exciting thing. It might scare others, but it, for me, it's exciting. Ira, you want to address that or is it cyborg consciousness or do you go with just some of us? Or like, I've been accused of being a psychic in my lifetime. Matter of fact, I just was at an event because of that and I've had television shows get me in the can, but I don't know what they did with the videos once they got them. So I don't know what's going on, but I know the government was very interested in my abilities because they had me come back for another polygraph just having me do readings, and they they wanted me under polygraph to ask questions before they showed me men in black so I would remember them. So I'm not sure what all this is about, but I'm very curious to see how all these levels of intelligence on this planet work together. Got any ideas, Ira? Being called well, a yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely the the you know right. There's the, there's two you know schools of thought or two camps on this matter, right? That uh, out there in the universe is just stupid unconscious matter, or out there in the universe uh, is an endless array of information. And I, we, I clearly side on the fact that. It's an endless array of information. Uh, you know, and a lot of this, you know, as we discussed, you know, because we are involved in research in terms of regeneration of the brain. Um, and, you know, getting involved in this area a few years ago, uh, we had to face the fact that there was plenty of research already out there from the last several decades that showed <coughs> that many of these organisms whose brains uh, can be completely destroyed, uh, in some cases, uh, in the case of like planarians, cut out, thrown away, and the brain regrows. And yet somehow these organisms, including the planarians, including salamanders, including metamorphic insects, um, they remember stuff from the previous brain. And now how does that happen? Well... (laughs) Uh, it happens because our 
so-called connectome-centric model of the human mind, uh, the, the idea that we are nothing more than the three pounds of stuff uh, inside the skull uh, is wrong. Uh, and that uh, the, the real model, the one that sort of <clears throat> a large part of the cognitive neuroscience world is getting behind, is that the mind is much more than the brain. Uh, mind is a process of relating to stuff. Uh, you know, if we took TJ or Janet, you know, we took your brain out and somehow miraculously kept it alive uh, in a tank of fluid somewhere with nothing else, uh, that's not TJ or Janet anymore. Um, well, that's and, a good place. Let me let Jan get it, get out of here. Jan's got to go. I kept him... But he just let me know he needed to uh, go. So, Jan, uh, I guess, can we look forward to working possibly in the future uh, with Ira somewhere? Maybe have you guys come back in 2019 sometime before July together, talk about consciousness? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to. All right. Yeah, I'd be running yeah. Ira offline but so we can get to know each other better. Um, Absolutely. Sounds exciting like what he's doing. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jan. Leave for how he would get in touch with you. Are, are you're a public figure because of uh, your position with MUFON? Are you not? Yeah, well, you can give him my email. You, you've got his email. Just give him my email, and we'll, we'll get we'll get in touch. Perfect. Awesome. Well, do you put it out? Do you put it out? It's through MUFON, right? Just contact the executive director. That's exe.dir at mufon.com. Is that right, Jan? Correct. Executive yeah, that's director. Perfect. Exactly. All right. Any last words for people? You said you're – give them again the name – the date of your event, please, and the location. Yeah, our 2019 MUFON Symposium is uh, July 26th through the 28th at the Hotel Irvine here in Southern California. And our theme is uh, MUFON's 50th anniversary, Embracing the Future. And we're going to be looking at uh, not only the past but also the future of ufology and kind of where we're all headed so, um, and it'll, it'll be a, a great time, an exciting time. Hope everyone can come out and just join us and uh, look forward to the conversation. Thank hey, you, Jan, for coming. Jan, it's Go Janet. Ahead. Um, Thank you, Jan. It's when, are, when are you going to get these speakers and events up on the site? I'm on mufonsymposium.com. Yeah, I'm working with Ken right now, our CIO. We should have that up in the next week or so. Absolutely. Yeah, we're excited to see who's going to be there. And then okay. yeah, hotel right. reservation and everything. It'd be great to see that. Well, thank awesome. you so much, Jan, for coming on the show. Thank you, and thank you, Janet. We'll thank you, TJ, and, and Ira. Nice to meet you as well. Look forward nice to more conversation. You, okay. Thank Bye you now. for your time, Jan. We look forward to doing more shows with you in the future to promote MUFON. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank Bye now. You. Aloha. Thank you. All right. I, I have Back a couple you, comments. Jeanette. I have a couple comments. Uh, uh-huh. Well, first of all, I wanted to just comment that the tardigrade it was used. I haven't watched the second season, but the first season of the latest Star Trek reboot, I think it's called Discovery or something, uh, they used the tardigrade for the quantum leaping teleportation system. They had a uh, human size or a little bit larger than human size tardigrade. <laughs> there was like three or four episodes that, that featured just tardigrades, so you might want to uh, go watch the uh, reboot of Star Trek. In fact, I'm going to go rewatch it because I was now I have another uh, impression. What is this tardigrade? Yeah, it was it was surviving in space, all kinds of stuff. But apparently, it had abilities that helped them uh, to um, time jump to 
location go, teleport, something like that. So I don't know where they got that, but you might want to see what the writers of Star Trek were doing. <laughs> I'll have to check that um, one out. Yeah, yeah. And then the, um, you know, people that develop these uh, telepathic uh, abilities and this uh, psychic abilities, they kind of share um, people that have had uh, out-of-body near-death experiences and the contact these experiencers, they tend to have these enhanced abilities. So people have died and come back um, and, and been on spacecraft. So we're looking at uh, you know, what's going on that awakens them to their abilities. In fact, people that get uh, fractal, they, they get their mind split. They have, um, they've been manipulated to get uh, subpersonalities, to create subpersonalities. They seem to develop these enhanced abilities. I don't know if you have any research into that, you know, people that have, um, into their subpersonalities, their, um, what do they call those? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Alters, they're called alters. Mm-hmm. And then mind is much more of the brain. So the, the uh, experiencers, when they are talking or communicating mind to mind, it's not, uh, sometimes it's language, but most often it's concepts. They'll get entire concepts. And when they see things, you see it with your mind's eyes. Not, so there's sight that isn't seen through eyes. So, uh, yeah, and what is the mind? Like you said, it's much more of the brain. The world is a holographic, or the universe is holographic, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and every cell contains everything for every other cell. So that might be what's going on. You have a holograph- holographic uh, universe, and so you remove most of the brain, but the cells are all communicating, so each cell has the sum total of a whole in this holographic universe. Anyway, that's just a few thoughts. No, they're they're excellent thoughts, and and they're and and you're right on, and then this sort of um, taps into something that you know we'll, well I, I can talk about later or now whenever, but this whole realm of quantum biology that is really uh, take was well, taking off. It's it, it's very early stage, but the fact that um, we are finally in uh, certain circles understanding that the weirdness of the subatomic realm uh, of particles that exist in two places at one time and their interconnections and, uh, and so forth uh, are not just events that are capable of being studied at uh, the extremely low temperatures and the really small, but the fact that a lot of this stuff is now sort of pointing in the directions for answers uh, in large, wet, you know, warm organisms, uh, and whether that is topics like how birds uh, fly thousands of miles by uh, tapping into the magnetic fields around them, or how plants are so very effective at photosynthesis, uh, or how our minds work, and how you mentioned in the holographic universe, how information, you know, with the, the term, you know, collapses into this reality at a certain point in time, uh, yet is everywhere simultaneously, uh, really provides very interesting uh, paths to, um, you know, not just have the <laughs> the birds and the plants take advantage of it, but, you know, have us take advantage of it too, uh, because there are some amazing possibilities 
uh, once we sort of further understand and perfect some of these skills. Okay. Well, Janet, where do you want to go from here? You want to get into this future applications of human? We've touched on all oh. of this. I'm sure age reversal, reanimation. But well, Ira, let's, let's uh, go into it in more detail. I first wanted to ask okay. Ira one question. Uh, are you working with Dr. Aubrey de Grey and his conferences on, you know, aging? Uh, I, you know, I hang out in similar circles um, as. Aubrey, um, we are <coughs> we approach things somewhat differently. Uh, Aubrey and his group is much more uh, into the you know looking at the human body as a uh, a mechanism, a car, uh, something that you uh, fix. Uh, you scrape the rust off, you replace the parts, and and you're as good as new. Um, we are we are from the uh, other camp that basically says, you know, we're we're not a we're not an automobile. Um, the human body is a an organism, uh, not a mechanism. A machine uh, represents a group of parts that work together, that have a defined function, uh, and together it all performs a task. Uh, organisms, on the other hand, uh, unlike being purposed from outside, they're purposed from within. Uh, they are emergent. Uh, it acts on its own behalf, it self-organizes, self-produces, maintains itself, and regenerates. And so we come much more from the angle that the true answers to aging uh, and disease reversion are going to be uh, not looking at us like a car, uh, but in looking at us like what we and all the other organisms on this planet are, which is living, self-organizing entities that have the intrinsic capability to be one year old or a hundred years old and to move in both directions. Um, so uh, that's, that's the long answer to that. Uh, mm -hmm. We hang out in the same circles, but we have distinctly different approaches to how to get this done. And then I have one more question and I'll pass it back to TJ. Um, my husband and I are Anunnaki researchers and the Anunnaki are going into the ancient aliens Mm -hmm. um, they're the creators of humanity They're the uh, geneticists that designed us And they use their DNA to make human beings We mm -hmm. at one point had a stream long lifetime As indicated in the Bible, you know, thousands of years The Anunnaki um, can live it to the millions of years And they are humanoid like us and we have their DNA. And so the theory is that they just shut off that 256 strands of DNA that are off. Um, in there is the longevity DNA, or what allows us to live an extreme, you know, lifetimes in thousands of years, not hundreds of thousands of years. And it's just an off switch. Have you ever thought about that and explored that possibility that, that junk DNA is really something that if we could figure out how to turn it back on, we might have these uh, abilities like telekinesis and telepathy, and they were turned off. The theory is that they were turned off uh, to control us because, you know, we were as smart as they were, and, we, and so they had to shorten our life expectancy and turn off our DNA so we wouldn't take over because there was only 900 of them, 
and you know we, we kept uh, breeding rapidly. They had difficulty breeding, but we were breeding like rats, you know. And so they had to figure out some way to dominate us. So they turned off 256, 256 strands of DNA, including longevity. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's it's a fascinating topic. Uh, you, you brought up, and just for the audience, uh, you brought up the topic of junk DNA, and for those that are unaware of what that means, uh, you know, of the of the 25 or so thousand genes that all of us humans possess uh, that are listening, uh, that 25,000 genes only represents about one percent of your entire genome. The rest, which is classified as junk, or was originally classified as junk, because at the end of the Human Genome Project, most folks didn't want to accept that it was there for anything other than remnants of an evolutionary path, uh, and it was non-functional. But, uh, very importantly, uh, and Janet bringing this up, yes, it clearly has function. Uh, as said, that our genomes didn't fall out of the sky. Uh, it's been built upon and worked upon uh, you know, from our perspective, by unique forces over the last 3.5 billion years. And so within that, what we'll call architecture, lies a lot of answers. Maybe answers to things that we haven't even answered questions for yet, but uh, clearly uh, the answers, in our opinion, are not in the genes because, you know, you find 99.2% of all the genes that we have uh, in chimpanzees, and you find 92% in the pufferfish, uh, and on and on and on. So the genes really aren't that special. Um, it's everything in between. And that 99% of the genome, which we once thought was junk, is clearly not that. And the more we understand it, um, yeah, I believe we're going to uncover a lot of really interesting stuff. <coughs> Ooh, PJ, back to you. Okay, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Okay, good. I didn't know if I, I didn't know if I muted myself or not. <laughs> okay, this has gone pretty well considering uh Steve didn't come in. I think he would have been a great uh uh addition, you know, and uh we'll have to get him back, folks. He's uh maybe on another night or something for more chemistry, but he would have been a great person for you to meet too. Ira Pastor, he was a chemist and uh, works in the uh, alien contact and using equipment and stuff like that. But uh, where should this go now? Because there's so much you had for us to cover in topics, biological suspended animation research, hibernation, quantum biology. Uh, I don't know. What do you? Where do you want to go with this, Ira? You have plans for sharing? You want to talk about the mosquito or what What do you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I, I, can, I can walk through, you know, I can, it re, let's, uh, we can start at the beginning and reintroduce just a little of the basics of what we, we think about and uh, how we tap into the natural world and the 3.5 billion years before us to try to solve some of these problems. Um, I can talk a little bit about the basics and then if you want to throw questions left and right and Come up with uh, other topics as we go through them. That's fine. Uh, what, what, if, if I'm here yeah, yeah. and I'm capable of doing it all. We have a complete hour. Good. Okay, we have a complete hour left. It's amazing. It seems like tonight's going super slow. I'm not sure why, but we'll figure that one out. So telomeres. 
Tell us about that because they've realized in space you can live longer. I don't know, and I've heard that in one of the science events about consciousness and space, and they found this from the astronauts going up, and they have to work out 35 minutes a day just to keep up their muscles and stuff because in space you don't need all this mass. And uh, so we need to talk about what we think space travel is, and then I'm going to just – I'll just – Go out on a limb here. In some of my memories that I don't know where they come from, but I came to Earth with these, uh, and maybe you can help me, uh, is having memories of being in another planet, some say Mars, or just having in my DNA, it feels like, I guess like you said, these animals remember things. I'm really curious to find out how we're scientifically going to prove this. But So I've been watching a lot of consciousness science uh, shows and very quirky. I don't know what you'd call them there on YouTube. But can you help me out here? Because when they started talking telomeres, I tuned in and I thought of you. That's when I thought, I need to get him back on here, you know, with my daughter having leukemia and all that. But there's something to the history of us living longer, and it's in the Bible, thousands of years older, Methuselah, you know, even Moses, certain people, but some of us more than others. And I have some memories I don't really come from, but recently, which I did not bring up with Jan on here, and I should have, was the fact that when I was uh, a few years back, 2011 or so, there was this, this uh, I don't know if it was energy or entity, came in light, like doing signs, like, uh, I don't know if you call them crop circles or what, but I did write about it so I'd have some historical knowledge. But I still... T- to this day, it woke me up thinking about I had anxiety over it because I knew I needed to talk to you about it. And it had to do with longevity and space, but a different type of travel and where the memories come from. And could they possibly be, would they be in the junk DNA or would they be in the telomeres? And how does that relate to your future? Because consciousness has to have something to do with the biological or the destruction thereof however the consciousness keeps going or does it because this thing that came to visit me made signs that I didn't recognize other than infinity squared but I know that this it came in like light and uh, made all these things but then when my husband came in the door it went and hid behind this metal uh, stand I had for breads and I asked him if he could see it. He, he noticed. He was like, yeah, what? But he was reading the mail and summoned through it and walked through the kitchen. And then it came out and it left. Because, so it was shy. But it, it did all these weird things. I don't know where to put that in my intel. Can you are the, are the other thing, the ancient thoughts and the new thought teachings. So I have the ancient memories, but I have the new thought that I don't even know how to explain it. Can mm-hmm. you help me? Okay, go for it. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll take a stab at it, but let's let's start from the because yeah you st- you started off with uh, you were watching a show about telomeres and so let's let's start there because they're very okay. small and they're a very small piece of the puzzle but they'll lead somewhere and and then I think we might have some some answers to some of the questions uh, as, as we delve into this but basically for people that are unfamiliar uh, just uh, really short and dirty telomeres are these uh, basically sequences of DNA that are at the end of your chromosomes. Uh, they sort of have a purpose of, of stabilizing uh, 
the DNA in your cells, as your cells divide, they technically get shorter. And then over time, as they get shorter and shorter, your DNA unravels and sends out certain signals that that cell is damaged and needs to go, uh, either by being destroyed or shutting down and becoming senescent. Um, and it is one very important but small part of the aging puzzle uh, because it is involving your DNA. But you, me, everybody listening, uh, is much more uh, than our DNA. Uh, DNA genes do absolutely nothing on their own. They are just repositories of information in a biologic form. They can't build anything. <laughs> they can't operate on their own. They just take their directions, what I'll call from above. And let's discuss for a minute what that above is. Uh, I'm not talking about stuff in the sky yet, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, when I talk about above, I'm talking about a vast architecture of control systems that our body uses that send messages down to our DNA, that modulate their function. Uh, these include things like biomechanical forces, stresses, friction. Uh, they include hydrodynamic forces. We have to remember that our body is, you know, 70% or so water. Uh, we have water in our bloodstreams, water in our cells, water in between the cells, constantly moving, constantly in motion. Uh, so we have uh, various forms of electricity and various forms of magnetism that exist within our cells, within our tissues and our organs. Um, and then we cannot forget that aside from the fact that we all are made up of about 50 trillion cells on average, we have about 100 trillion other little organisms living in us, known as the microbiome. Uh, and so, aside from what we carry around on a daily basis, we're also carrying around bacteria and fungi and viruses and all other sorts of little creatures that live symbiotically as part of us. All of this, and I'm not including now sort of the larger, what we'll call cosmobiological inputs, so light, gravity, electromagnetic fields, solar and lunar cycles, sounds, acoustics, all of this makes up the so-called architecture uh, that produces who we are on a daily basis. And it is not just matter. It is not just biologic stuff floating around randomly. There is a process to this. Uh, and at its lower level, as I mentioned, in the area of sort of quantum biology and what we're learning now, yeah, it's genes, it's proteins, it's chemicals, but what is all that stuff? It's just more forms of information floating around, vibrating, communicating with one another, and that's really where we have to look, and when you talk about some of these things about information, about knowing things that you've never learned, uh, about accessing knowledge that is out there, uh, you know, at the you know, switch of a switch, this is where this biologic realm 
begins to bleed into um, the non-biologic and the physical. Uh, and so when we talk about things such as, as I mentioned before, the ability to remember uh, in organisms as an example that have no brain or have had their brains destroyed or the fact that our brains turn over dozens of times in a lifetime, you know, our thousands of our brain cells, hundreds of thousands are dying every day to be replaced, yet somehow holding on to extensive amounts of information, uh, we really have to think a little differently with, you know, our understanding of how this stuff happens, about how we know these things. And so, you know, I love, you know, you talk about, uh, many of the phenomena that you experience, I love just reading about the uh, the children uh, that are studied down at the University of Virginia at the Center of Perceptual Studies. You know, these young children who know stuff about people that lived 100 years ago that they never could have ever learned. Uh, and so some of this knowledge... Uh, as I said, that sits beyond the biologic, um, that is telling us, yeah, it's a lot more uh, than just the hard stuff that we're made up of, the goo, as I say, the three pounds of goo inside the skull, um, it begins to become a little clearer. And so, you know, whether we're talking about novel forms of communication, psychic abilities, uh, precognition, postcognition, uh, or, you know, what happens after death, where memories go, where the mind goes. Uh, there are a lot of unanswerables at this point that nature and all the creatures that we study with these superpowers have clues to offer us. Uh, and that is why we are so interested in studying them and why we spend so much time with non-humans <laughs> in the laboratory, because they have a lot more creative, interesting answers for us. Can you hear me? I was on mute. I, yeah, no, I can hear you <laughs> right, fine. Wonderful. Janet just dropped off in Hawaii, but I called her to come right back in so she can have the last hour. Uh, but she can also download the whole entire process. All right, so uh, I understand a little more, but do you think consciousness, so you believe the up there, then how do we get into those of us that believe their alien civilizations exist, and we know a lot of the ships or spacecraft, not of Earth origin, are coming down, and then my husband had pictures that he left me, he didn't want to talk about it while he was alive because of his clearance levels were too deep. Oops, she fell off again. Dang it. Janet, okay, I saw her come, and then she fell off again. Sometimes we have trouble in Hawaii. That's why she likes me to do on the mainland uh, the connection to her. But uh, she'll be back in a minute. So there she comes. Let me try one more time. Uh, try, Janet, stay this time. <laughs> Hold, stay Hawaii. <laughs> Down boy, are you there? Hello? Okay, she's here, but I can't hear her. So, Ira, uh, I hold on. Janet, I can't hear you, but you're, I see you, and I have you on. 
There she comes. Here you now. Janet, I'm okay. boring you. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Janet. Hold on. When plug in, replug. Okay, yeah, usually she, I can't shut her up, so I'm like, what's going on? And I looked. And there, there. I, I, I couldn't hear anything. It's like, where are you? Okay, I'm back. Okay. Okay, um, good. We're at, okay, where's we all this stuff? I, I wanted to take him up. He calls it the above and the energy coming in. But, you know, when we death and dying, we can go there with, you know, the telomeres gone or shut down completely. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get us where we can talk about what Tom had, the picture, since I showed him an event. And in his mind's eye, these were the ones he saw. And I saw one, a real long one, that was like, I would say miles, but I don't understand how when we dream and we sleep, we can go other places. And some scientists say we do travel out of body. Others, I don't know. But I don't know where you're at in biology with when we're sleeping and dreaming and the thoughts and you're above. And then, is it, you know, we think there's a grand architect. I guess that's better than saying G-O-D or good on delivery is what I call it. If you can manifest it, it must be here. <laughs> but is there some way you can help me, Ira, to, and Janet? How are we going to talk about that, which, especially at these UFO association groups, so so many people can't prove things they say, like the 20 and back, or Janet calls them secret space program. I've got a whole group of people, about a little over a 1,000 on UFO secret space in social media, and I've got Ufology well, 101. first of all, let's break that down. You said, how can we, we have to forget about proving it, okay? <laughs> we're, we're operating on a system of testimonials, and remember, there's billions of people that believe in God and religion based on testimonials. So that seems to be sufficient proof for the majority of humans alive. Testimonials. Because the well, some of them you can science, use in court, right? If well, you have a sworn testimony. Not, you can have, and I've had this happen to me, you can have, you know, two, three, four, five people come in and testify, testify about something that is absolutely false. And, and you can end up going to jail. So say five people came in and say, we saw you murder. They, we saw TJ murder somebody, and you didn't do it. And next thing you know, you're in bar, behind bars the rest of your life. So testimonials have a lot of weight. <laughs> but is that true? So, and then what is truth? So I, I think what we're doing right now is just capturing the stories because you have the stories that people tell. Now, are they real, quote-unquote real? Are they made up? And, but if you just go one level stepping back, what are the, the stories that people are telling? What what makes them access those stories and take the time to bring them down through their mind, body, soul, and out their mouth? You know, what what are these stories and why are people telling them? And what makes them real? What I think we're living in a virtual reality. I think this is all some kind of uh, game that we've created for maximizing diversification of creation, and we've all we what is that LARP, live action role playing? Oh, live what action role playing. Yeah, that's the way we're supposed to talk on these. And when we get to the can't prove stuff, that's why Iris so important. 
he can come up with some words that maybe we don't know. Like, let me try this on him, Janet. And Janet, you haven't heard me say this. Ira, can I tell you something really out there? Like in tell Roswell me, Land? Or, out there. Sure, go ahead. Okay, well, one, just that one thing with the, how, where the light came from. I, I went to the window and looked. And, but it came from somewhere because I really did see it. I didn't but, imagine it. Now, another part I want to say, Janet. Wait, wait, wait. I'm lost. What light where? I missed the part of the, the light story. What that light I wrote are you talking about? It was the light that came in uh, back. You were where in were my you? life. Well, you, I was at home when uh, Tom came in the door and I was writing for Canada. Oh, that story, the light. Okay, that light. light. Yeah, it came in okay. and made figure eights and like a big moth man and all kind of, uh, uh, what do they call it, fractal energy. And I was, I, you know, I felt like they used to have a show called Chuck where he saw this knowledge and energy and it zapped in his head and you know it was from a, a, a orb of light a gold a ball that was about the size of not a volleyball and not a baseball in between there about the size of a grapefruit when it shrunk and it shrunk when it, uh, Tom opened the door and I'll be more than happy to take a polygraph about this because it's going to be very hard for anybody to explain I went to the kitchen to, to see if there was anything outside because I thought maybe it was a intelligence in another form outside but you know I mean out the window but because it was close to dark but a light came on but it didn't come from the lights in the house you'd have to know the whole detail I need to show a picture or, or make a graphic or do a Corey Good video or something about it but the other thing I wanted to talk to him about was the, the new thing uh, I get information and it came to me uh, a couple of days ago after all these years of talking about Andromeda not knowing because we used it as a point of reference but this intelligence came and told me to say and I put it on Facebook beginning my beta zeta life I mean beta zeta Andromeda life and I was like what the heck is that so I stuck it in to uh, I wrote it on Facebook before I even knew what it was. It's just some little funky thing to say, So, I, which I don't normally play the woo-woo game. So I did the Beta Zeta Andromeda, and I'll be darned if there wasn't a Beta Andromeda and a Zeta Andromeda star system. And so I copied them real quick. And it was like I went, that's where part of me lives. So there's a part of me at 24-7 that has always had a point of reference a point of origin out in space. And that's where I've, I relate to a major part of me as a point of origin. And when Tom and I were doing spacecraft ships uh, in, in visual, like plasma screens and stuff, I was connected to a guy named Philip Coppins. And he was able to do Egyptian and get on a, 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 a show. But he and I had a like a it's very esoteric past life together and I called him Philippe but it was very Greek and uh, Atlantis kind of stuff but people don't need to know all that but anyway so without getting too <laughs> woo woo is there a name for knowing things and then where does this come from and then when I, I've done this my entire life I will know something and not know what the word is and then just blah blah and then I have to go look it up and google it or something and do you think that it's just there, like animals know how to turn a circle when they before they lay down, or what? What is that? I just would like to know, well, Ira, what you think it is. Let Ira tell me. I know you, Jamie. I mean, you can talk sure. later. Sure. You, so, you can talk about it, but let Ira 
address that, and then you can ask him all the questions in the world. But Ira, yeah, I mean, can you I don't know if I, if I have the, I don't have the, 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 the perfect uh, scientific term for it. I think uh, some people in the quantum physics, quantum mechanics world will call that, you know, non-locality. Um, the, you know, the fact that uh, whether you're standing here or across the universe, um, the same information is available. Uh, on okay. top of that, um, so, you know, you can call it non-locality of information. Um, okay. But the fact that, you know, you and I and Janet and everybody, we have uh, this, of the, of the full electromagnetic spectrum of stuff out there, uh, you know, we all see in a very small component of that window. Um, meanwhile, you have what? You have wolves that see infrared and fish and bees that see in ultraviolet. And you have birds that see electromagnetic wavelengths and can magnetic navigate. You have the dolphins that echolocate. Uh, you have snakes, which... Uh, use vomeral location through heat sensing. Uh, there's a variety of ways that the mind, not just the human mind, but all minds, can tap into that information spectrum. And humans have a very li- limited you know, view out the window. There's a lot of stuff out there that we do not experience, that we cannot see, just due to the what we'll call the locked-down nature of the human, the biologically human mind. And so, sure, uh, there's much, at least, that we are not privy to. Um, and that just expands out because, you know, you go to the far ends of things, uh, the gamma rays, the cosmic rays, um, and then you go out to the effect that we're in this universe that's, you know, 90 billion light years uh, in radius, uh, it's full of this information. Um, and so, yeah, clearly, what are you tapping into, DJ? What gives you these experiences? Uh, as, as of now, a, a yet as of unknown, uh, tweaking, vibration, whatever you want to call it, into that universal database. (laughs) And I believe that's what's going on. I really want to know how to write that because I can't say it without putting it in stories. And Janet's been driving me nuts for the last 10 or 20 years since she met me at a psychic fair that I had at the Hilton Hawaiian Village. And she and I were in Project Stargate, but we didn't know our part because we didn't, they knew we didn't know what we had. And they brought us in and she was driven to come over there. I was working with Dr. Uh, Laura Sturgis, Ph.D., and uh, I noticed that Jan said he had silver mind control, but they had Werner Earhart stuff, ESS in one room, University of Hawaii, and, J- and she and I had uh, another one, and we were going through, bi- was it biogenetics, Janet? What was that? I've already lost it now. Holodynamics. 
okay, was one of yeah. the classes that we had gone through, Holodynamics. And then uh, I could teach things, and she had me teaching something similar to what I just said because it had something to do with this gold energy. And uh, people wanted to learn about extraterrestrials and UFOs, and then I was explaining to them things like when you're in Hawaii and you put a pin through the uh, – playing it down to Africa because I'd been to Africa and I'd had a portal open Mm -hmm. and I'd gone to Spain and opened a portal. So what it was is you could get people together and the government knew this, or at least secret government. I don't think they're real government in the Navy because they didn't know what we were doing. But somehow the men in black started watching me doing readings at at different locations outside when we'd have psychic fairs and things, but they're the ones that gave me the government uh, job to come over to the mainland, Janet, and uh, that Gerald Orr brought me to, and he's dead now. All my husbands are dead. But he brought me over to see Dolores Cannon, <laughs> right, before. So all this ties in, Ira, and I'm trying to figure out how, but Janet and I have some unique thing, no matter how upset we get about each other or differ about what kind of event we're going to do or where we're going to meet or who's going to be there. She and I stick together, and I know it has something to do with some kind of synergy in this stuff that she and I have, and the government wants to study. It had to do with what you said, non-locality, the Project Pegasus was real for some people in the deep state or in the psyops, deep blacks, you know, doing stuff. We weren't bending spoons or anything, but, you know, some of it's white propaganda. But this is deep stuff you can do with your mind. And and Pegasus was about, um, I I would say, travelers or time travel. And there was a scientific part of it with the universities. And the other part was the mind with uh, some of the people that took it. Russell Targ, I think, Putasha, and Anyway, Janet and I were the the light part of that, the end end result in Hawaii. So I'm not sure how you fit in with this, but I know you do, Ira. But I don't know what part, unless you're going to write it up or prove that it exists. I don't know your part. Janet, you know what I'm saying, right? We don't even know our part. Let me say something. (laughs) Let me say something and then I'll pass the talking stick to Ira. To Ira. Uh, Yeah, let me say a couple things. First of all, I, I, I wanted, since we're asking questions of all of us, yesterday I was getting ready to go out, and I was brushing my teeth or brushing my hair or something, I can't remember which, but suddenly something picked up my skirt. I, I had a, um, like a, a nightgown on, and they, they pulled it up and back, so if somebody was behind me, they would have seen my butt, and then they dropped it. There was nobody in the house. <laughs> it wasn't went, me. I'm in Philadelphia. Okay. But I had been talking about two of my uh, cousins, both male, one, one first cousin, one second cousin, that had died in the last month. And so I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not leading the witness here. I'm just giving you the background. I want to know what you guys think that was. Both of you. Both answers. What do you well, think Let Ira, because he's, he's been quiet. Ira, what <laughs> Energy. was going on there? What, what was going on? I was trying to think of some logical explanation for that, besides where I go with ghosts all the time. You know, but I go, well, maybe there's some other thing that could happen that would make my dress go up in the middle of the house 
with no one else in well, it. Well, you know, unless weird. you were unless you were standing on uh, <laughs> Marilyn Monroe style. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, no. Great. Um, the you know were, were these relatives um, uh, playful? The, the ones that recently passed away. I mean, did you have that type of playful relationship with them? Um, no, and and I'll tell you, this family. This is my mother's sister's children and their her grandchildren. And every time I hear of their passing, something weird happens. And um, so that, you know, I totally believe in ghosts. I see ghosts, but I, you know, I didn't know if there's, I, and I go there with ghosts sometimes. And so anyway, I just, I thought it was a ghost and I thought it was one of the two. And they know that I can see them because I'm in, I'm part of this secret space program. I am. I am a psychic and telepathic, and that's why they selected me for Project Stargate. Um, but then, you know, like TJ saying, we can't prove anything. And so, anyway, so my, I'm just going, that's go. So that's one thing. We don't have to stick with that. But I just wanted to share that weird shit happens all the time, especially when this family dies. Like the other time, I have a cowbell out in the porch. And I'm, I, my sister says, oh, Cousin Rosemary died. So I go in to tell my husband, and he was in the bathroom. So I kind of sat on the floor outside of the bathroom. And I said, oh, I'm very sad. My cousin Rosemary died. And then the cowbell, and you have to grab this thing and go ding, right, with your hand. It doesn't just move. It goes ding. And I go, wow, Rosemary, if that's you, ring the bell twice, twice. And so then I set up a, a series of t- a couple questions, and every time I asked a question, it 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 would ding once or twice, and I said, "Okay, well, thank you, goodbye." And then there was no more dings. So I think I'm having communication with the you know the spirit world. Now some people set up those arrays where they have the sound array or the video array, and you can catch their images or hear their words. So anyway, that's way off topic, but <laughs> and no, it's, it's, energy. Not, it's not really People off like topic. To I mean about it's it. about oh look, in in, in, yeah, in in my biologic form right now I am a um a form of complex energy that's collapsed and put in a certain structure uh to operate. Yet, um, you know, I firmly believe that when we leave this world, um, you know, the rules of conservation of energy and so forth apply. That information uh, that you've generated throughout a lifetime doesn't disappear. I mean, it exists just like the starlight exists in the sky of stars that burned out thousands of years ago. That's just electromagnetic information. So, um the ability of two forms of information to interact, to vibrate, to resonate, uh, is a pretty common uh, aspect of science. Um, you know, I had, my, you know, my mother passed away a few years ago, and I, you know, at, at many um, sort of after-death contact type events uh, in the ensuing years where, um, you know, in the middle of the night, 
TV would miraculously turn on to a show uh, that she used to love to watch. But the remote control, you know, it wasn't I was rolling on the remote control. That was across the room. Uh, you would smell a fragrance that she used to wear wafting around the home, even though we didn't have it in the home. Um, a lot of strange things like that would happen. And, and it makes, once again, I mean, you know, I, I want to try to connect everything back to the biological at some point because I believe there are important um, lessons here uh, in terms of deeper understanding of how all this stuff works not just in regenerative medicine, but uh, to a deeper understanding of the mind and consciousness and so forth. But um, the, once again, the general ability to tap into information, um, whether that is my mind tapping into that information or whether that's the ability of some other organism that doesn't have a brain tapping into electromagnetic information. It's all, let's just say, the same basket of stuff. And if I have a dream that I'm a jellyfish floating around in uh, an ocean on Jupiter, um, I think maybe there's more to that than just creating that idea. I, I clearly think that there is uh, the information of all of those events in the universe. Um, and yeah, I don't believe that dreams are just us making these things up. Um, so sorry to get a little off topic there, but I did want to. No, no, that's great. I did. I did want to mention that. Says, yeah, go ahead. No, just did, I did want to mention that these are not. Um, in my world, these are not weird things. These are not weird phenomena. I, I think the whole area of um, after-death communication. Um, uh, you know, what happens to us, what happens to the mind, what happens to the soul, these themes can, with the help of the cutting edge of biology, quantum biology, some of these new fields of cognitive studies, they all fit together, and they begin to make much more sense than they ever have. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, then then you asked me my opinion. I want to tell you that in in the paranormal, in the paranormal world that you know you and I exist in, and you much more with the woo woo and the secret space program than I am because you're more of a believer. But in my world, we have to accept what's taught in the secret because of the people. Some of my greatest teachers were involved in that program, <laughs> the girl that did that, but including Dirk Vanderplug that was in Canada, you know. But the thing is to ask the genie that's out of the bottle out there that we call whatever, but the genie of the bottle, you know, you were supposed to have three wishes. Actually, it was more than that, but we went with three. But they say that you have to ask and then believe, and then receive. It's like ABCs, but it's ABR. But in my world of entrepreneurship, we say you have to ask, believe, and achieve. So it's different. But when it comes to, like my daughter watching television, there's one really good psychic, and I I think they had her at a MUFON event once or a UFO event. Uh, she read, and she's on television, and my daughter watches her, and we record it. And she can tell you and works with a detective, you know, what happened, and her husband will go in and take down all the pictures and things like that, not to lead her own, like you said, lead the witness. And she still gets a lot correct about 
the land and the people that died and all that. So what we've done in from uh, Coffee, one of the guys, I forget, he's one of the old ones like Vander, not Vander, uh, James Van Prague, but I think it's James Coffee. But anyway, Coffee, and I think he's worked with alien hunters before. Yeah, but you know they use a psychic, uh, and what we say is it's either you doing it. And they're, they're very famous for figuring it out. Are you doing it like static electricity? Are you doing it or is something an outside force? And they usually do believe in entities and people that have died at the energy. And a lot of it's abruptly thrown out of them or some people don't know they've passed. So we're, we're developing uh, – I don't know if you'd say proper nomenclature or taxonomy or just a general uh, consensus in entertainment, at least the movies and television shows and documentaries, because these are called reality shows now, to accept that that is real. And a lot of people will argue with that, just like ghosts and the paranormal and haunted houses and haunted mansions. But you know, normally a reader would tell you, well, if you're thinking about that, the thought was so strong that you brought – some form of entity of that energy back to you, right? If you don't think you personally caused it, uh, the, some energy around you, because it can be either or. Now, I don't know why that is, but they'll always look at the person first, at least in my business of uh, investigation and paranormal investigations. You look at what you, – you rule out everything in the simplest – whatever the simplest form is – uh, usually the simplest thought that now I don't know it's sort maybe it may be uh, Ira you tell me how you do it you understand in science you have to prove it to your peers or you have to do it and explain that to the people you have to experiment so many times and other people have to be able to do it right Ira what yeah, is that called it's, it's all about the peer review process and the ability of a and quote a group of your peers and hopefully they're not competitors or uh, have other conflicts, but a group of your peers to reproducibly uh, replicate what you've done um, in your experience, in your lab experience. So is that supposed to make it scientific? You know, well, according it, to forensics. It, you're getting, forensics, I mean, you're getting into a, uh, a a tricky area now because okay. I, I, there. There are gold standards uh, of which peer review in science is, of course, one of them. However, the flip side of it is that, um, you know, there was a study done a couple of years ago that in, in my industry alone, uh, every year there's something like $30 billion of irreproducible peer-reviewed literature. Uh, and that doesn't take into account the non-reproducible clinical work. I'm just talking about the preclinical animal stuff in drug development. $30 billion worth. So peer review, peer review is the standard, the gold standard, but it, um, you know, it talks to a lot of people. It has a lot of drawbacks. <laughs> so I don't think there's a, a perfect, perfect system yet, but it is, let's say, one of the things you just, one of the hoops you have to go through. Well, you don't do government trying to get government funding like a lot of the nonprofits are the school, educational schools, right? So what yeah, kind we, of – we did a lot of that uh, in my previous company. And, you know, we had a whole team dedicated to it. Um, and, you know, they were good at that. We just don't – you know, we just don't have that group today. It's uh, uh, Applying for government grants specifically 
uh, on the scientific front is, you know, it, it, it's a very bureaucratic system. It takes a long time, and it just things move a lot faster when you work with private investors and can spend your money the way you want to spend your money. And that's – you've been able to do it with private investors. Would they allow you to educate people at uh, – like this MUFON thing coming up in California in July? Or, I mean, how would – what what does it do to help educate in the entertainment industry or in the peer review? Because we have ufologists, and we have the nuts and bolts people that – you know, they think they're investigators because they've been talking to people. But I was a bona fide, paid professional, you know, private investigator, then a legal investigator, then a government investigator, and then, you know, FBI files that use me as a consultant or sit, turn in their reports to me, and then I'd send them into the Navy and the JAG. So I've got all kind of experience as an investigator in writing up findings of fact. But. Mm-hmm. Still, some of these people in this peer review group, Mutual Fund Network, think they're better investigators because they've got stories in their area or something about UFOs. So they say, well, you know, I'm not. So I, I don't get it. So I'm not yeah, sure how, where to go with this. We have the same, we have the same like, problem in biotech. It's, you? Uh, you know, you have you know, you, people that well, have published it. extensively <laughs> and have multiple Why? PhDs and uh, – you know, a Nobel Prize and this and that, yet they've never, you know, never brought a drug to market ever, never had a success in, in anything on that front. But they love to point to their 100 publications uh, on certain scientific uh, uh, pieces of information. Um, yet the, the major wins, let's say, in, in what we do in this industry, many of them, when you go back in history from penicillin to opiates to insulin to aspirin, um, a, a lot of them were just scientific bumbles, <laughs> mistakes, uh, the accidents that happened in the lab. Uh, so you have to take a lot of that with a grain of salt and, you know, stick with, you know, what you believe in and, and, and your direction. And, yeah, if someone says, well, you know, I have X many more experiences or whatever they, they like to, you know, promote. Compare uh, in, in your side <laughs> of, in your side of the world. Uh, compare whatever. Um, you know, you take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> uh, well, could you good. write up? Could you give us a model? Would you be willing to give us just a basic course and scope for alienology? The word alienology. I mean, I know you're extremely intelligent and you write this stuff up for other things, but could you just give us a simple outline for our association? You know, just for alienology, maybe use one of your things that went into space to show us the best yeah, way to yeah, get. I, I, would I you? could definitely do I mean, something like that. A, I mean, the we need somebody to step. Here's why, and here's a a model to begin the uh, distribution of alienology reports because we have a generic. We have J. Allen Hynek to guide us for ufology. And we have mm-hmm. CE one two three four and five, but it's very simple. And they put it in a guidebook for Mutual UFO Network. And I saw it a long time ago, and we were going to tear it apart. And then Kathy Martin was helping for the uh, hypnosis regression uh, experiencer stuff. And now they've got experiencer questionnaire. Janet and I don't agree with that much because it's all about abductees, and we know there's contactees and experiencers. But now we're starting to develop a whole new field besides 
alienology, phenomenology, cosmology, and ufology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. They're, they're ologies, but we don't have a lead investigator or lead. You know, in the government, I have to write it up like, you know, a team, five people, and I'm the lead investigator. TJ, to set this up for your new company, just a form, and we'll give you credit and all that, you know, because we have, uh, you can look at Daryl Sims, he's our first uh, entertainment-wise alienologist, and he was a CIA agent, and he traveled in and out of country. He would travel with some of the great Stanton Friedman, Nick Pope. Mm-hmm. Those are in our field, former alien, uh, former ufologists. But, but he, they never. TJ, what do you? I'm. You keep breaking up, and um, you're going out. What are you asking? You keep uh, breaking am I breaking up? up? Okay, I'm sorry. Going. Well, anyway, you said well, yes, so I'll give it back me. to you, Janet. Talk to him about alienology, and I'll I'll mute. Well, I had a quick question. I don't know if it's me or you, but I I kept going in and out, and I could only hear every third or fourth word. So um, earlier on we mentioned Silva Mind Control. Was that you, Ira, or was that – Yeah, I hear you. Okay, yeah, okay, because I didn't know what was going on. Um, What do you think about things like – Silva Mind Control was – oh, that was um, Jan. He was talking about it, right? Yeah. And he said he was able to. Oh, he he scored better on this test, right? He was so, talking about uh, yeah, sort of accessing information he didn't know, um, and somehow he knew it. Right. Via, via okay, some so unknown mind, mechanism. Mhm. So we're talking about that the mind is more than the brain. So mm-hmm. I had a friend, Neil. No freer, and, and he was dying. His heart was failing, and he was dying. And he said, "One of the last things he says is, well, 'Well, I'm going to freeze my head,' <laughs> right? Mm. Okay. Uh, for for hopes that uh, they'll re, you know revive him sometime. No cryonics, cryonics, mm-hmm. cryonics. What mm-hmm. do you think of all that? We have the silver mind control. These people are able to access a part of their brain." Pulling information that's not by the normal sense of studying, knowing answers. We have that phenomenon. Uh, we have people that want to live forever. And they're talking about transferring consciousness into computers, you know, freezing the brain. So what's going on with all that stuff? What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts or ideas? Um, I, I, I mean, I, I know, once again, I, I, I hang out. Uh, because of the aging research in some of these um, areas, I, I, I know some of the cryonics folks. Um, I think, you know, it, it, well, clearly we're very good or we've gotten to the point as a scientific community of freezing or vitrifying as the current technology, in essence, very quickly turning something to glass. Um, but we do it with extremely poisonous materials nowadays uh and the unfortunate chances of coming back um or default not not to use crude tech tech terms but uh uh, defawing somebody uh successfully today with some of these um methods is is kind of remote 
that being said, I do believe that there may be, based on some of what we're working on in terms of neuroregeneration, that there may be a, uh, a midpoint between uh, you know, dying and cryonically vitrifying somebody. Uh, and this is what we know we're talking a little bit about biologic suspended animation, whereby uh, one could be kept in a, uh, a state where they are worked on uh, and some of these technologies are uh, put to um, sort of the clinical realm. And you know, I, I say this because, um, you know, it, you know, once it's sort of getting onto a side topic, but you know, you, the human body uh, when dead uh, supported appropriately uh, with nutrition, with hormones, with of course, cardiopulmonary uh, abilities can last a very long time. Um, dead people uh, can do uh, with the right support, a lot of things. Uh, they can circulate, digest, metabolize food, uh, grow, sexually mature, have babies, heal wounds, uh, spike fevers. It, it, it's really, you know, um, you know, unfortunate that you know, when we die, uh, this, we're really quite alive. And so I believe that, you know, cryonics is, you know, it's, it's an interesting topic, but I think there's going to be something that really, that replaces it, that's a little more what we call translatable uh, and makes a little more sense than, you know, just turning you into a, a piece of glass, uh, which, uh-huh. like, you won't come back from. All of that being said, um, even if it was perfect at this point, uh, there's probably more to it than saving your head. Uh, and while that is a path that I know the cryonics industry sells people on uh, as a cheaper alternative to whole body cryopreservation, uh, we cannot ignore the fact that a lot more information processing occurs in your body outside of the brain. Uh, It is very well demonstrated nowadays that your heart, your bones, your pancreas, uh, it's even been demonstrated in schools of sperm that seek an egg, uh, there is electrochemical communication going on between all of the cells, and these are not neural tissues. <clears throat> we have to re- also remember, you know, we none of us had brains <laughs> for several weeks when we were growing and forming in our mothers. Uh, the brain came later. Uh, and in many species, uh, you, have, you, know, you have organisms out there that don't have brains at all, uh, jellyfish and a hydra and so forth that communicate quite well with other parts of their body. But then you have other interesting organisms like octopuses as an example that have really tiny brains, but their peripheral nervous system is distributed throughout their tentacles and acts like a, you know, a brain three times the size of the human brain. So there's a lot more information processing occurring in the body than we currently are given credit for. And going back to what TJ was saying about, uh, you know, genetic information uh, in the, you know, in the jet, the level of the genes and so forth, there's quite a bit going on that I think in, in the, in the ideal scenario, you probably want to preserve your entire body and not just your head. Well, can we say that we can do the phenomenology 
Does epistemology fall under phenomenology? Because I like to say alienology, cosmology, uh, phenomenology, ufology. But it, I got started in ethnology, ontology, epistemology. Right. But there was another one. So the theory of knowledge. Yeah. And also taxonomy. But how do we bring all this together? Because, you know, it, it – it, Anthropology, her husband has a Ph.D. in anthropology, and when I was working in Kentucky, I had to put my folk life under at the University of Kentucky when I was working with children in, in newspapers and people uh, as a volunteer under so folk life goes under anthropology. But what I'm trying to do is I need help organizing just words and, and people and getting them into this alienology separate from ufology. In other words, nuts and bolts versus Janet and I are experiencers. We fall under the belief of aliens or the what you may be called not the brain and the brain that drives the uh, not of earth origin crafts possibly. And we are into the biological part that it has thoughts because I've experienced it. It goes into the AI, but Janet and I have both talked about biological craft so we need to get into this and this is the most extreme cutting edge out there with AI and biological AI and epistemology and knowing it it sounds like a sci-fi movie but I guess it's going to go under alienology but can you help me out here I'm looking for somebody smart like yourself and in the <laughs> more scientific than I am you're looking for a term uh, or what the platform is to bring it all together. A platform I mean, to bring it all together for like MUFON. Like if Janet and I get involved. Yeah, it, it would be, uh, you know, it would be um, from my domain, it would be, uh, you know, a breakout <laughs> session amongst um, everything else going on that combined so-called astrobiology um, extremophilic, uh, extremophilic life, let's say. So, uh, you combine astrobiology, extremophilic life, and then, uh, what we'll call, um, X, you know, X, uh, biologic information processing, <laughs> I have well, to, to think a little bit more about terminology. Um, you do but, that for me? Seriously, yeah. I'm very serious. Yeah. Serious is a heart attack, as they say in folk yeah. life or in, in <laughs> you know colloquialisms. But Dan and I even have trouble with words and colloquialisms and uh, phrases, and we need to know how to because we're on the cutting edge, and there's no people really willing to put their neck out because they have PhDs or they have to pay for school or jobs. And she yeah. and I are retired, but we have volunteer groups. We have associations that have these groups, Alien Contact Org, UFO Association. And then the health and wellness that you're under, like it's a psychic event. We have psychics. We have uh, the New Horizon Psychic and health and wellness are they call it healing arts but mm. we're trying to find out because there's more and more people in our social media groups looking for the niche genres and then mm -hmm, the niche mm -hmm. genres can lead to the study of 
And we need somebody like you to help us define our terms. Well, TJ, I just want to remind you that we're running out of time. Uh, We're down to four minutes. Yeah. So let's begin to wrap this up. We can always do more. Well, okay, outline of epistemology, but you could you help us? You heard what I said, and if you forget, just put this on and zap over to the end part. Social epistemology, maybe. I don't know, but we need truth, knowledge, and belief. Mm-hmm. But have you worked with ontology versus epistemology in the past at all, or is that something you do regularly in biology? Um, you know, the, the, those, those terms pop up in sort of the uh, sort of this evolving domain of systems biology uh, or mathematical biology, um, as it's called. And as we begin to integrate these different fields, I, uh, I don't we don't use them as much as some of those folks do. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they have their place in, in what we we're all about. All right, so phenomenology, I don't even know if Janet knows that's what she talks about, but epistemology and phenomenology. That's, Janet, Mm -hmm, sort of what mm -hmm. you're talking about with the ghost, I guess, or what, you know. So we've got to term that, Janet. We're into morality of epistemology and the introduction of it, but we're going into alienology and and the knowledge that impacts the interaction of what we do. And I don't know how to talk about that knowledge or belief or truth and justice. And, you know, Tommy Hawksblood's really big on this is truth. And, you know, he thinks everybody the way they believe, you know, and that's, it's part of our philosophical, but our visual thinking. And somebody like, he, you don't have to come from Stanford University to be a, a visual thinker, but One it helps man's people truth is fiction. another man's science fiction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll all right. Well, we have that. two more minutes. Um, how about uh, let's just wrap this up because I have to go. I have another appointment, or I, else I can leave. I've got to take care of something. But I've had a great time, and I want to thank you, Ira, for coming on board. It was my uh, pleasure. A great show as usual, and uh, love to have you back sometime. Any final words, Ira? <laughs> yeah, no, I. I Always enjoy t- talking about these topics with you and your audience. Um, I have a lot more to talk about. We didn't get a chance to go into mosquitoes yet, but we can do that on yeah. the next show. Um, but uh, have have a lot more to think and, and, and talk about these issues. And I think there's a lot more we can definitely do and get people you interested wanna come in. Back? You want to come back tomorrow? Well, I'll talk to uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, tomorrow. But I, I can tell you some dates are for the future, but um, TJ has We'll do it offline. Mm-hmm. I yeah, am, okay. I'm booking Friday and Saturday, so uh, Friday is by invitation only, but uh, tomorrow we're starting what's called the Allied Command with an astronaut, senior uh, Ken, Ken Johnston Sr., at the same time, and uh, you could come on and help us get all of what we just stopped and go forward, and you can bring your mosquito, too, if you want, awesome. you know, because we don't really <laughs> talk about everything. But, uh, you know, he's open. Bring your mosquitoes. Uh, yeah, you can bring your mosquito and your kidney if you'd like. And uh, epistemology, you can even refer to epistemology and ontology with all that, right? Okay, I'll, I'll so, drop those yeah. words too. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you could, uh, we'll have you on tape. And, of course, everybody can come back and listen 
and see how uneducated we were or how grateful they are that we're doing this orthodox epistemology or something. I don't know. It's, uh, but do you feel like you could come back and help us with our truth and our belief? Absolutely. And I have to run, TJ. Really? I'll talk All right. to you later. Thank you, Janet. All right. Thank thanks. you, Janet. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Janet. Bye. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, Janet had to drop. So that would be awesome because it's not easy doing what we're doing. And Ira, you're just, you just seem like the perfect human that has bioquark, you know, and it just sounds a little quirky. <laughs> <laughs> But you do mean quarks out of out of uh, out of the subatomic realm, exactly. Yes, things that change into different things based on how they're perceived. Well, do you want to be known in the future by all the people that listen to me and all the social media groups? I have thousands, but yeah, we're all yeah. looking for the same thing. We're looking for a way to communicate. Uh, I'm looking I'm for a way to uncover truths uh, in many fields and. Uh, and my specialty is is doing it through biology, but there's obviously many ways. Um, but I, I think I, I think I can bring an interesting part of the puzzle to the table with this sort of biologic connection. All right. Well, tomorrow night is the uh, beginning, the first show of the Allied Command, and we've only advertised it for a week. But uh, UFO Secret Space is most interested in what we're going to create with that. The Allied Command is going to be all the different groups that believe they're from other realities. Our Janet calls them time travelers, our secret mm-hmm. space program. We have all these things in the woo-woo uh, world, our metaphysical world, our Facebook world, if you want to say it, our virtual reality world. That uh, I'll tell you, the entertainment industry loves us because we're not quite sci-fi or fantasy. Mm-hmm. We're something else. Gotcha. So. We're sort of future visionaries. I call us cosmos visionaries, but we all want to come together, but bring them all together. I don't want it to be another Comic-Con. I have the names, and you may can help me, but I have uh, – well, I have UFO – do I have UFO? I have UFO Association, and I have uh, Cosmos Expo, and I have uh, Portal Stargate, and I have Stargate Con, and I have Alien Con to produce events. But right now, I've got to get the epistemology and belief uh, from what we're trying to create as truth based on taxonomy and epistemology for alienology. And this gentleman that's coming on, he goes to all these sites that I don't, but they follow the star system pyramidology, which I left out. And many of the people that have uh, pre-designation are Gina calls it secret space program because of Corey Good. Have you heard of him, the Sun mm-hmm. Warden program? So you don't mm-hmm. know when she's talking about 20 and back or uh, spending time and coming back and losing time in, in space. And well, I know a little bit about that, yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with that topic. Okay. All right. Well, even with my husband and I in the re- real world, I call her woo-woo world and uh, Corey Good woo-woo and, and me. I call reality because I was in uniform and I was in the military and – I was in projects, and we did real studies. Now, that doesn't mean that mine are any more or less woo-woo than theirs, but that's just what my brain does. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. But woo-woo is okay because that's how we get to the science of it, right? Yep. I think it's yep. all philosophy until you get to the science. So mm-hmm. that's why you're so important. You're the only one we know 
other than we have some doctors in reincarnation that can get mm-hmm. pretty heavy. And I may have you on with him sometime. Uh, That'd be neat. Q, a reincarnation doctor. Yeah, Dr. Simke, Walter Simke. Are you familiar with him and LinkedIn? That name is somewhat familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really, take a really look well here. Known. Yeah, look at LinkedIn, Walter Simke. I think it's S-E-M-K-I-W, and I don't remember, but it's in one of my magazines or e-signs. Anyway, uh, we got to bring in reincarnation to this, but he likes you to remember any of your past life, and if you can prove it or find a face or something, which I did years ago. I didn't know that he was going to come back into my life and want to be a part of my radio shows. But the fact was I did have a past memory as a Russian lady and uh, found the picture and all that long before I got into all this stuff. And I put it out on the Internet years and years ago, probably prior to 2003. I don't remember, but I did that for a while. And I, I, lost, the name of, I lost the name and all of that energy, but it was very important because I was living it and coming up. But I've noticed if I don't use it, I'll lose it. And I, if, it's nice to write down thoughts and keep them. And I did that for this particular entity that I was or thought I was past life. But I didn't I didn't yet understand how that could happen because I wasn't into reincarnation being brought up Protestant. And you know what I'm saying. If you grew up in America, you don't hear about reincarnation. As right, right. So I was having trouble with it. So part of what I'm doing now is to make it okay to talk about anything but try to stay in certain realms. And yeah. we can also go there, dimensions and realms. And I'd like to discuss that because we have seven realms. And the Xenoverse, there's universe, the universe, multiverse, metaverse, Xenoverse, Omniverse, Alphaverse, and Omegaverse for right now. And I put it in some of my books. But uh, the, I, it, I had it all in Wikipedia and stuff, and a lot of people took it down because they didn't like it. And I didn't even start most of it, but I started some of it, and we worked on it for years. And they started picking it up, and Stan Lee was following me. And uh, on UFO Digest, and as long as Stanley was alive, it seemed to be cool. But at the end, uh, it got all into, uh, well, like the Pegasus project I was working on, time travel. It got to be the Comic-Con people took it over, and Corey Good is known for comic um, comic books and stories and selling stories and working with computer graphics and design. So he tells these outlandish stories, and Janet believes them, so – I guess they're real to some people, and he has a huge following, a lot bigger than I do right now. At least it looks like that in YouTube. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm more real, and real people don't get a lot of following if you're trying to prove reality. The people that get the most following are out there creating this other reality, a fantasy reality. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep, I hear you. I hear you. So I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. So if you can step in between both worlds. I would love to have you come educate us, and uh, you'll love Ken Johnston. It'll only be me, him, me, you, and him tomorrow. All right. Well, so let me know the time, everything offline, and uh... it's the same time. It's the same phone number you have oh, tonight. Okay. It's okay. a repeat performance, and I'll just uh, cut and paste this tomorrow and uh, do it again. And now, what? Let me make sure you want to lead off with. Uh, when you talk, it's hard to follow sometimes because you're so intelligent. Do Do you know that? <laughs> thank, thank you. I'll uh, I'll make my I'll I'll talk less intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I don't know where the happy medium is. It's like uh, sort of uh, watching uh, NASA. 
some people love NASA stuff, but if you're not a NASA nerd, you're not into it. It's one of those things. But I don't know how to fix it for radio, but we'll work on it. So maybe you're the, if you're willing to experiment, you sound like you're willing to, you know, cross over into the twilight zone with us, or, or what do they call it, beyond the beyond. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to call tomorrow? The Allied Command is is going to be Friday shows, but just remember the words we said tonight, and if you can get us a model, Ken wants help. Well, there's an interesting um, – look, what, what I want to talk about, uh, and I mean it's a very interesting topic and something we just got involved in along, along with everything else we do, is basically what we call the, uh, the ectocrinome. Uh, let me tell you what that is, uh, a short introduction. It's all the stuff that currently chews – spits, injects, throws up on us uh, on a daily basis. Uh, and wow. the most common one happens to be the household, the mosquito, uh, which, you know, aside from biting us uh, and giving us little bumps, uh, also injects into us some really interesting things uh, and has been doing so for the last couple hundred million years, biting everything that exists on this planet, from dinosaurs to fish to amphibians, everything else. So uh, there's an interesting little alien type connection here. And, you know, it's not a xenomorph, but it does inject stuff into us that is really neat aside from the stuff that kills us. And so I want to sort of separate the two topics because um, there may be a whole other realm of possibility, let's say, for the human condition uh, in looking beyond the the bad stuff that that mosquitoes are typically thought of carrying. Well, that sounds really interesting. I think that could become a form of higher level intelligence and alienology. And then when we work with Hollywood and they create all these creatures, I'm tired of them all being like they're going to kill you and monsters, but that's what they all, all right. are. So if you can help us do some pretty mosquitoes or some, I don't know, make something romantic. I don't know. We've got to figure this out because the Allied Command is about all these people. I don't know that you even follow any of it, but in the old days, I'll just tell you, I wasn't allowed to read the Ashtar Command. It was one of the first ones that was said to be put out by the intelligence agency to see if people would fall for it, and they did back in the day in the early – I don't know when the first one came out. I haven't done a historical review or vetted or you know research on it. But that was one of the first ones, and channeling people, channeling like Roberts and Seth, and there's uh, people that pick up channeling, and and it got to be where they didn't like it, but contactees and experiencers. There's this whole generation that came through reincarnation, channeling entities or energy or people from space, and then there's all these people that feel like they're abductees or contactees, you know, and we're putting them all under – a word experiencer and that's not right because a lot of people that say they've experienced things they're experiencers too so it's sort of like mm-hmm. we need taxonomy and help so when you're going to be doing this chewing and spitting and stuff we'll create in alienology in other words we'll, we can try to follow a biological lead mm-hmm. i'm not mm-hmm. sure in taxonomy but maybe you think there's a maybe, possibility yeah. sure sure all right. Well, if you're willing to help, tomorrow night will be uh, astronaut Ken R. Johnston Sr. He helps uh, us in the military. 
excuse me, and with our sea cadets and uh, all that with the children. And he goes around, and people look up to him in his little space uniforms and stuff. But we're going to make some uh, between educational entertainment and how to get to the next level of intelligence. By entertaining the children with the new reality and the new words and epistemology. And since we're already in cyberspace and in the Internet, you understand there's people that are taking over cyberspace college anyway. So we call it the invisible college in metaphysics. <laughs> are you aware of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that term. All right. Well, so tomorrow night, you will definitely be a player then. You're going to be a player on this stage and uh, then we'll work with Hollywood later once we get all the taxonomy down and in uh, epistemology, right? Phenomenology. All right. Well, thank you. I better get off of here. They're probably going to get upset with me because I went over. <laughs> so love and light, and tomorrow, same time, same station, folks, and we'll make history. That's what we do here. We archive history, hopefully for the good reasons that we're going to use it in the future. Thank you, Ira. You're definitely a visionary, are you not? I think so. Thanks for having me, TJ. Thank you. See you tomorrow night. Same time, same station, folks. Thank you, Ira. I'm just going to end to save time on the recording. Love and light. See you tomorrow. Take care. Thank you, everybody. See you tomorrow night.